No joke. Yeah. Wow. I did. I I, I still don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm Thomas, here with my good friend Daniel once again. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Good, good. It's good to have you all on board for another episode here of the podcast. Before we get too deep into things, we would like to thank our patrons, uh, the people who generously support this podcast and keep the lights on, as it were, for us. Um, they are over at patreon.com slash reason together. A wonderful community of folks who think about stuff. And uh, if you'd like to join them, you can do that at patreon.com slash reason together. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash reason together. Select one of the tier support levels there and you can get some perks uh, along with that. Uh, and we would certainly be grateful. Uh, if not, and you want to just listen for free, that's fine too. Uh, we appreciate you joining us on that. All right. We're back again. Yes, we are. And I've got a very important question as we start for our listeners. We need your feedback on this, okay? Because this is a, this is a, this is a, a very... Folks, I, have, I don't know what's coming. Very, very important question. How do you deal with spammers, okay? I know there's probably different ways, and a lot of people just give them the click treatment, you know? Uh, but I want to introduce a... Um, an interesting take on it that I have seen recently. And, and what I've seen has come from my son, uh, one of my sons, okay. and uh, he has a good sense of humor. And so he has taken to handling spammers by answering the phone in an interesting way. Um, so you're talking about phone calls? Yes, by, by these spam phone calls. So, you know, when you have a cell phone, it'll say potential spam or something like that. Yeah. So it kind of gives you a heads up or, or if it's a number you just don't recognize. Um, and so he's been listening to a, a ping pong podcast. That was interesting. Uh -huh. Triple P. Anyway, um, and he's, he's really into ping pong and he's been improving. And so he's been he, he got he got kind of aligned with this uh, ping pong podcast. Well, the guy who introduces it is Jeff Plum. And he uh, always he always says like exactly the same thing as he's introducing the podcast. So, and he has this English accent or Australian accent or something. And uh, so my son borrowed that line. And so this spammer will call. And instead of just hanging up or deferring the phone call, he'll actually answer the phone. And he'll go, I'm, I'm Jeff Plum. And, and as always, I'm joined by super coach Alice Rosario. How are you, Alloys? Or something like that. <laughs> they'll do this whole introduction. And sometimes he'll, and then he'll just listen and sometimes like, Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> They're just dead. Wow. What? I don't I don't know what I just called. And uh, he used to try to like to answer in an English voice. Hello. <laughs> you know, and then they'd answer, Are you trying to trick me or whatever? And uh and so he just he just takes to talking to them like from an alternate personality or something like that. Right. And um sure. And seeing what the reaction will be. So if you're listening, uh tell me how you handle spammers, all right? Do you have any, that's, uh, any that's interesting. new and novel ideas? Uh, I I don't have any. Um, <laughs> if I don't recognize a number, I I honestly I just let it go to voicemail. Really? I, yeah, because you're like that. There is a reason for voicemail. If you if yeah. you have something to say and I don't know who you are, please feel free to leave a message. I can always analyze yeah. that and call you back. Yeah, there there is a guy on the internet. Um, I think his his handle, if you can call it that, is yeah, uh, scammer payback. <laughs> 
Yeah. And, and, but he, he actually knows what he's doing. Oh, is that the guy um, who's he, like a, a, a tremendous whiz at computers and he actually reverse hacks them? He does. While they call him, yes. he's on the phone with them. He's hacking their computer, deleting files, <laughs> recovering files. He has actually stopped uh, actual crimes yes. in progress, uh, calling the victims and telling them, hey, you're being scammed. Don't return this guy's call. He's tapped into the video feed of the scam center. Of the call center, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> it's it's yeah, interesting absolutely. to watch. He actually has a YouTube channel, right? I don't remember what his name is, but that has yeah, been interesting. Yeah, it, I think it is Scammer Payback. Scammer Payback. That's the guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's quite something. It, but, it is uh, really something. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just don't answer. That, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. All right. That was, uh, of course, totally off topic. All right. Except that we don't have a topic yet. So maybe it wasn't really technically no. off topic. but. Well, I suppose somewhat tangential to one of your kids is that you are now a college, as it says dad. here in, yeah, college yeah, dad. Yeah, that's my name for this, uh, today's episode is college <laughs> yeah, dad. Yeah, your, your handle is college dad. Yep, I'm owning you, it. Uh, you, you dropped off a, a one of your children at college for the first time. Indeed. How's that feel? Indeed. Uh, I think the best term for it is bittersweet. Um, it, uh, it's, it's a tough move. And, um, you know, I, we, we so loved that, uh, that bubble of having us all together and being together as a family and sitting down together, you know, for meals and fun times and whatever. Um, and so now the thought of one being gone and really once you, uh, you know, I don't, not to say that he's not welcome back home, but if the Lord leads and he just continues, you know, his education, I know when I left for college, I basically never came back. Um, not that you Me don't too. come back for a summer, but it's less and less home. And so that hurts. It really does just that. Um, not that he's not that it's an intentional slight, but I'm just saying that change, that change of life hurts. And yet um, I'm excited to see uh, what uh, how the Lord's going to lead in his life. And I feel like he's up to the task and um, yeah. I know he's going to handle it well. So that's that's neat to see. And um, so anyway, it's a bittersweet time. Yeah, I imagine so. I'm, I could potentially be not far behind you. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Our our oldest sons are are close in age, and uh, mm -hmm. you know we don't really have direction yet, um, but could potentially not be far behind. So right, right. You're uh, you're you're my guinea pig. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. I watch you, and I'm like, hey, what was that like? <laughs> <laughs> So how badly did you melt down? Oh, ugly crying, yeah, yeah. huh? Yeah, okay. I guess that's acceptable then. Uh, I'm not going to ask you. <laughs> I'm not, not going to ask you. Right, thank I, you. I, I would probably not do well at that. So, yeah. All right. To jump into uh, one of, well, I guess maybe before I jump into this, how are you doing on your end? Um, the same old, Good. Uh, got plates yeah. spinning and. Yeah, pretty much. Um, back to training, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, mm-hmm. So for the last few weeks and, um, the, the boys are doing it now too. Um, they, they were a little bit for the first couple of years, um, but it was more kids jujitsu mm -hmm. and now they're involved in the big boy jujitsu. Wow. Yeah. Um, so cause they're becoming big boys. <laughs> so yeah, they're, they're involved in that. And, uh, yeah, so that's been good. Lots of work. Um, yeah. Yep. Okay. Good. Well, I'm excited to jump into another conversation yeah. here. Actually, one one thing yeah. before you get to sure. that. Sorry to interrupt yeah. you. Um, 
one thing that is kind of new and maybe a little different is I got my ham radio license. No joke. Yeah. Wow. I did. I I, I still don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> like, why are you here? So like, I'm not for sure exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I heard some people say that this is good to have in the event of emergencies. It's good to have, you know, just a, a piece of equipment like this around that can get that kind of range uh, where you can contact, you know, the Red Cross or other emergency services or whatever if you absolutely had to or okay. send messages through that if, if there was any kind of, you know, problems with cell towers or the power grid or what have you, uh -huh. you know. Don't get the wrong idea. I'm not a prepper. Okay. <laughs> um, but people are like, yeah, this would be a probably a good idea to have, but you need a license to operate it because of the particular bandwidths that it runs on. Huh. So you have to get a license from the FCC. Oh, there it is. Yes, there it is. Background <laughs> noise. Hey, let's let's insert like a phone ringing sound here. Yeah. Are you muted? No. You're not? No. Okay. I was. I thought you clicked something. Yeah, well, I was going to, and then yeah. well, that's right. We already. In, we well already yeah, we already introed it. We we're yeah. I mean, we're owning it now. With with the level of professionalism already <laughs> uh, existent on this podcast, I would say le letting it stay in that the phone is ringing is probably apropos to, you know, this conversation. So let's roll with it. Maybe I should like, um, anyway. yell over my shoulder as if I have a secretary. Like, hey, can you get that? Take care. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny if what you didn't know is, is if the church secretary was actually out there and suddenly thought that you were talking to her that way? <laughs> that would be funny. Um, anyway, you do have to get an FCC license okay. to operate a ham radio. Like it's 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 actually illegal to push the button. Wow. Unless you have the license. Thankfully, <laughs> the license, you can get it for, the test is $15. Mm -hmm. And it's a 35 question test. Okay. I mean, they, they, the, the questions are randomized and pulled from a pool of a couple hundred questions probably. So you don't know which 35 questions it'll be. Okay. So, so can I like, you do have to study. Can I interject right here? Like, I honestly don't know what a ham radio is. I've heard about it for years. And I guess the closest thing in my mind is this radio that truckers will use, um, in, in their, in the uh, old CB, you know, but yeah, but well, I don't understand exactly. So, is it sort of an old-fashioned kind of radio that you have to dial in certain things, or like what's the technique and skill here? Well, like like a CB, you don't need a license to operate a CB. Mm -hmm. You don't need to take a test to operate a CB right. um, because it's fairly low power. Um, it's on a particular bandwidth mm -hmm. that uh, is specifically for CB. Um, which I think stands for not, it's not common band. It's something band, citizens band. That's it. Okay. Um, whereas ham radio, there's a range of other frequencies that you can access, which require a little bit more power mm -hmm. and get much farther distance, um, depending on the particular frequency type that you're on. And there's a whole community of people involved in it. Uh, there's even a, a whole language in a sense. It's not that complicated of a language, but there's certain etiquette and a certain manner of speaking that you're supposed to use. Mm -hmm. And like one of the guys I was talking to about this said, you know, when they had that hurricane in Puerto Rico, the people there couldn't contact their relatives up here in Rhode Island, uh, just next door to us here. So ham radio operators were sending messages for them mm. down to Puerto Rico, mm. right? 
Um, cause you can basically, as long as you have one of the radios, uh, and you can get generated power, even battery power, you can transmit messages at least some distance yeah. though, though not as, as far, but, um, yeah, all that to say it's, it's great for emergency purposes, they say, but a lot of people just kind of do it as a hobby. Okay. So Inter- yeah. interesting. All right. Well, there you go. So you just got your license. Got my license yeah. and uh don't know real don't know what I'm gonna really do with it at this point, but we'll see. All right. Well let's see if you can like monetize it somehow, like market it. Like, hey, I'll send, you know, a Valentine greeting to yours uh, you know, to your uh beloved over ham radio for only I don't know. Yeah. But then how would it, they get illegal, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> so I thought maybe it'd be like like a different take on like the singing telegram or something no that's one of the questions on the test actually is about you know whether or not it's legal to monetize (laughs) (laughs) something all right well i guess i'm just not supposed to do that okay well thank you okay we're gonna jump into our first uh feedback uh from another episode where yeah you were talking about um the maybe you could describe it better the idea that someone else has analyzed a position and you sort of borrow their their confidence and in the process feel like you too have analyzed the the uh the problem and you have solid ground to stand on when really you're just kind of borrowing someone else's confidence yeah yeah it's like a group confidence as it were right. it kind of rubs off and and people feel like they're kind of untouchable in a view because the rest of the people around them are all confident but yet it could just be that there's only one guy in the group that's confident and the rest kind of contagiously sort of capture it from each other right and they think um, that they've analyzed something that they really haven't analyzed yeah. they're just confident. no it, it's a, yeah it's a perceived analysis yes. they 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 really think they understand the issue but then someone comes and actually makes them think and reason through it, and they just wilt like like a, a flower, right? They just wilt. Um, <clears throat> and so, so I called it the contagion of perceived analysis. There is actually a blog post about this at reasontogether.fm if you would like to read it. But we did talk about that, and this is feedback about that. Yes. So Nathan, one of our patrons, says, I think one of the worst things about this contagion of perceived analysis is when the proponents of a particular theology impart to their followers not only the sense that they have complete, I think it means completely understood the subject at hand, but also the sense that anyone who disagrees only has half a brain. (laughs) Yes, that is, a teacher or pastor might teach his doctrine so confidently and so simplistically that in the student's mind, you'd have to have a screw loose to think something different. Yes, for example, Mm -hmm. one teaching against Calvinism might say, Calvinist doctrine makes God the author of sin. How could anyone think that? It's an attack on the character of God. If this type of one-sided argument is made with no attempt to understand why a Calvinist thinks the way they do, it's easy to impart the perception of understanding on the student, because I guess you've given it, I'm adding this, because you give it in such a simplistic way. In this particular example, the teacher might totally ignore the fact that Calvinism is a logical attempt to understand the sovereignty of God. This completely sidesteps the serious and legitimately troubling questions that Calvinism raises, and the result is that the student is completely unprepared to actually argue against the things they view as nonsensical theology. Okay, mm-hmm. so I see, I see what he's saying. Um, I would actually kind of draw a balance between the two, though I see what he's saying is that if you basically dismiss it out of hand, uh, you don't know how to... 
uh, address the inconsistencies or the weaknesses or the faults right. or whatever in every other part of their system because you've just right. said, this is so ridiculous, I'm not even going to think about it. Um, right. Yeah, you're essentially setting people up to lose even the most basic argument of the first Calvinist they come across. So so I, I do see the point there. However, I think there's still the point to be made that um, while it might be couched in a lot of um, um, intellectual sounds, uh, sometimes it actually does boil down to something that simple. And I think maybe they need to, they under, need to understand both sides of it. That when you say, you know, hyper-Calvinism, uh, you know, says that God is responsible for everything. So even the uh, the mistake on the typewriter, apparently, as one author said, that that was God's hmm. will. Um, well, okay, so that makes everything that happens something that God is actively doing. So when Adam sinned in the garden, well, that was God's design. God wanted Adam to sin. So it does make God the author of yeah. sin. Which is, of course, you know, terrible on its face. But I mean, so I mean, it's it's not to say that you can't make some of those simplistic arguments because they are actually there, um, but but not to just dismiss everything out of hand, um, right? Because sometimes it's used as a straw man, essentially against yeah all Calvinistic. Okay, there people. you go. That's a good way to say you got to watch out for straw men that you just yeah. like like you portray them as not having any sense or logical argumentation whatsoever and that they're just mindlessly right. going around, God is the author of sin, you know, and they're not doing <laughs> that, obviously. Uh, they're going into like these deep things, even if they are, you know, inconsistent in a lot of points. But um, yeah. So then he, he also, uh, uh, Nathan here comments on another aspect of something we had talked about. Maybe it was in the same discussion there. Uh, he says, the question of whether we we should say God is in control when bad things happen, because uh, I had brought that up, that I, it's kind of an unfortunate phrase when we say God is in control, uh, because of what that may imply to the listener that uh, he is responsible. Um, anyway, and, uh, and anyway, that he, um, you know, he's basically controlling all that's going on in the sense that you know, he, again, kind of going back to the author of sin. That, it's a related, related question. Yeah, it is related. So he writes, the question of whether we should say God is in control when bad things happen highlights the danger of extremes in theology. While Daniel is worried about heading toward the extreme of blaming God for everything, I recently read a book that argued to the opposite extreme that God is not responsible for anything. <laughs> to solve the tension between God's goodness and the existence of evil in the world this author went to the extreme of concocting a God that created the world and then relinquished direct control of it so that now anything that happens is because of either natural processes or the consequences of men's choices. He Sounds like deism. Interesting, yes. He sees God's role now as fighting back against evil in the world. Oh, brother. In the author- Sounds like dualism. <laughs> there you go, good. Um, in the author's words... God is, quote, neither responsible for your pain, nor is he allowing it. In fact, he is against it and wants nothing more than to prevent it, end quote. Lucas Miles in Good God, page six, uh, which I would entirely disagree with. Um, uh, and I can explain why. Which, uh, sorry, I was writing down a note on that for the show notes. What was that last part you said that you disagree with? Uh, particularly when he says uh, he is against it and wants nothing more than to prevent it. No, 
pain is a part of the design which is intended to turn people back to God's design. And so he's not against- I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, uh, you'll have to talk to me like I'm a small, stupid child for a moment. He he is referring to who uh, I, I was writing and uh, trying to multitask and it wasn't working. Yeah. Okay. Don't no, no worries there. I'd be like me. Like, yeah. wait, were you talking? I actually was writing on a piece of paper. I uh, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. In this quote by Luke- Just be glad I wasn't chewing gum too. <laughs> Like You'd be in real trouble. Crashing around your room. Okay. Um, <laughs> so he, he's quoting here Lucas Miles in the book, Good God. And uh, he says, in okay. quote, in fact, he is against it. That is your pain. God is against your pain. Saying, saying God is against your God pain. God is against your pain and wants nothing more than okay. to prevent it. So, okay. Obviously, hmm. God doesn't want you to have the pain in the sense that in he he wants you to live in a blessed uh you know peaceful existence yeah but the flip side of that is that pain is a part of the design when you've uh, and and so while i would agree yeah. that he's not like actively aha you know you stubbed your toe and so i'm going to inflict pain upon you ha 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 well no it's part of the he's not malicious no but yes. but it's part of the design that when you violate his design, when you, as we would say, sin, there is a guilt factor. You know, there's a misery, there's a destruction that comes with that. Um, and it's a part of the design. And, and But what is the purpose of that? Well, the purpose in that misery right. is to turn your eyes back to and to draw you back to his design to say, whoa, what I'm doing yeah, here well, obviously isn't working and isn't good. I mean, perhaps the the microcosm view of this, you know, you're, you're talking kind of the big abstract view that God does, in fact, permit and even favor in some cases pain and discomfort for a big picture reason. Mm -hmm. The microcosm view of this, I think, is that God created us f f with the actual ability to feel pain. And, and this was not a result of the fall. Good. So Good I, I believe even before the fall, Adam and Eve could have felt pain. Because pain is the alarm bell that tells you you're doing something that's bad for you. Good. That's, right? I like the way you're you saying know, it. Yes. Mm -hmm. when, when, you, when you step in the hot coals of the fire, <laughs> right, it's good that you actually hurt because it tells you don't leave your foot there or you're going to burn all the flesh off of your foot. Good. Good. <laughs> so, so it is – that's the microcosm view. You're talking about the macrocosm uh, view here. Is that a word did, or did I just make up a word? Macrocosm. I'm not sure, <laughs> man. Macrocosm. I'm not sure <laughs> that, that you might it have made it. It just seemed like it worked. Yeah. So it was the opposite. It? So it, – and as far as just a scripture, and I'll just kind of throw this out there for our listeners to think about Psalm 90 verse 3. Think about the parallelism here. Thou – speaking, the psalmist speaking of God here. Thou turnest man to destruction – and sayest, return, ye children of men. Okay, so in the turning of them to destruction, what is that saying? Return. So you're experiencing destruction for, for as, as like you said, an alarm bell. Hey, you look, this, this, this destruction is saying, turn, return, stop what you're doing, right. come back to the right way. So anyway, that's why I would yeah. say I disagree with Lucas Miles there. Now, Nathan goes on to say, this conclusion is based on the author's unwillingness to accept that God would willingly permit evil things to happen since this would supposedly make him culpable for wrongdoing. Uh, Nathan goes on to say, while I believe the extreme sovereignty of God position that Daniel mentioned is an error, meaning that when people say he's responsible for literally everything, 
I right, al- I also believe that this opposite extreme is an equal error. I would uh, fairly well agree with that. It seems then <laughs> that we must find the truth somewhere between the extremes. And isn't that really uh-huh. uh, oftentimes how it is? Uh, and we've seen that so many times. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, there's there's some uh, some latitude for balance there in between those extremes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's finding how to word Good. that and uh, make it understandable. Now, uh, let me jump into <laughs> a um, uh, another question here. Let's see. Do you want me to ask about um, the question about grace or the question about the absurd? Uh, you're you're the MC guy here, so okay. Um, for this episode. So it's all <laughs> okay. Well, this <laughs> might, whatever you want. Okay. This might be kind of connected then, uh, to what we've been talking about here a little bit. My question here, and this was a don't peek for you. So this is all you saw was the question. Does God, oh. does God ask the absurd? Does God ask the absurd? Okay. Okay. Um, I want to pull up a note here because I actually was just doing some teaching through just a survey through the book of Ezekiel, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and there, there may be fewer examples in the Bible more absurd than the things that God asked Ezekiel to do, or should I say commanded Ezekiel uh, to do. And in my note here, of course, one of the milder ones is that he has Ezekiel essentially make like a little diorama as it were, or perhaps it was just a painted picture on a tile of Jerusalem and he was going to besiege it. And I said it this way, you know, when I taught on this, I said, God essentially has Ezekiel here playing army men. Okay. (laughs) Right. Okay. Building a little fort and such Mm -hmm. and besieging it. Um, But the other things God asks him to do is to sleep on one side for 390 (laughs) days. Yeah. And then for another 40 days, sleep on the other side. Uh, at one point, he has uh, Ezekiel actually shave off all the hair on his head, including his beard, and part it into three different pieces. And and one one part he was going to cut up and uh, I think just cast it in the wind. Another part he was supposed to burn or whatever, um, and so on. There's another part where God actually tells him to make bread and essentially cook it. At least my understanding of it is that he cooked it over a fire that was fueled with supposed to be fueled with human dung. Okay. And it seems like Ezekiel protests this and God actually is, is merciful here and says, okay, I'll give you cow's dung for, for human dung, for man's dung, which not really much better, (laughs) but I suppose in Ezekiel's mind, this was better. Um, So yeah, there were strange things that God had Ezekiel do for the purpose of teaching something to the people of Judah. Mm Mm-hmm the captives who were taken away into Babylon. So, so yeah, I would say at least on its face, this is absurd, but I mean, from whose perspective are you asking from man's perspective? That's absurd. I mean, whether or not it's absurd from God's perspective, I kind of doubt it, but I don't know what say. <laughs> okay. You? Well, l- let me ask you, how do you define absurd? What do you mean by that? When you say absurd, <laughs> this is like uh this is like, the, the first question of like psych 101 <laughs> is like, what is normal? Define normal. Yeah, obviously so, me. <laughs> yeah. 
it's essentially trends is is how they would define it you know what is this was trend trending societal expectations and so on is how they would define normal i think there's more to it than that but uh you know is it kind of outside of the habit and practice of normal society to cook your food over dung yeah i'd say that's outside of normal that's that's maybe seemingly absurd, which would just be a departure from normal. Is that is that kind of what you're looking okay. for? Okay. Well, and and well, that is yeah. I'm just asking you how you see it, and I guess maybe that is. Um, I think it kind of goes both sides. Where if it's basically by absurd, you're saying abnormal. <laughs> it's it's strange, <laughs> you know. It's unusual. But um, what I'm what I'm arguing against here is, uh, and this is somewhat reactionary, but um, normal to who yeah. is, well, we need to be careful of the implications of saying this, God may ask you to do something that doesn't make sense. Okay. Well, when we say that, um, it means it doesn't make sense to us, but we lack understanding. We're finite. Um, and yet sure. there's something, there's a difference between that and somehow attributing absurdity to God, which, and by absurdity, I mean like irrational. In other words, to say, um, you know, Christianity doesn't really make sense all the time. You just have to take it on faith. Well, no, I mean, God, I would say that, um, you know, I want to say God is logical. He's the foundation of logic, but I mean, uh, you know, God, God appeals to the reasoning faculty of man. In fact, I was just doing a word study this morning. Um, and what passage was I? Second Timothy. Um, oh, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. So I looked up that word persuaded and then started, started scrolling through the 50 some uses of that root word. Um, and I didn't get through all of them, but you know, it, it's that idea. It even carries then the idea of trust because when we are persuaded of something, then we trust in it. But, but the point being that God, God appeals to the, uh, the logical reasoning faculty of human beings. Um, and when we say that doesn't make sense or God, God asks you to do something absurd, it makes it sound like, um, it doesn't make sense in any, it doesn't make sense, you know? And I'm like, well, it just, we don't understand what he's doing. That's what we mean, but we don't yeah, mean I, that I, it's, that it's illogical in any way. Yeah. And I don't know that most people who believe the Bible, who would, when they say that, you know, God might ask you to do something that doesn't make sense. I don't know that any of them really mean, oh, God is absurd. You, you know what I'm saying? Well, I, I think no, I think no. we're dealing with a little bit of nuance here in that we do have a sin nature that oftentimes makes us think contradictory to what God expects of us. And in that sense, some things don't make sense on their face. Otherwise, faith would not be a prerequisite to the Christian life, <clears throat> right? Um, well, I'm not, so, I, don't, I would push back on that a little bit, but... Um, what I'm, I guess what I'm driving at is that is is per is um, the portrayal of Christianity as being uh, irrational. So where 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 we where we come in heavy on the faith aspect and go, well, look, that doesn't make sense. You just got to believe it. Well, wait, wait, no, wait, um, no, it's you know, faith is. Um, seeing God for who he is and saying, I may not understand yeah. everything that he's doing, but 
it all makes sense to him. You know what I'm saying? So, but, but when you stand up against a secular guy and he's like, Christianity is a bunch of, you know. Uh, yeah. And see, Alice. I think we're coming at it from, we're coming at it from two different angles here. You're coming at it from the apologetic standpoint yes. in which you're dealing yes. with people who object to Christianity on its face. Right. And they want to accuse um, it of being uh, essentially just, um, well, a bad right, kind of absurd. But, yeah. But I'm not coming at it from that that angle. I'm coming at it from the angle of a Christian who says, you know, there are some things that that moving forward in the Christian life requires faith because to the simple human mind, right, the way up is up, not down. Right. Right. And yet the Bible teaches that a man who humbles himself is exalted. Well, to the human mind, that doesn't make sense. Right. It seems like if I humble myself, people are going to walk all over me and take advantage of me. Right. But from God's perspective and the, the way God has designed it, to use your your phrase here, God's design, mm -hmm. is that the way up is down. <laughs> right. Uh, it's humility that brings exaltation mm -hmm. uh, in the end. Um, I would say at least from from the Christian standpoint, looking at that, I'm influenced by a sin nature in this life that God sometimes asks us to do things we don't fully understand yet. Not that they're not understandable. Yes, right. But that we that we don't understand them yet. I would say at least on its face, some things don't seem to make sense to us in the moment. I mean, there's a whole Old Testament full of characters who did things that maybe didn't seem like they made sense. I'm thinking of Gideon going to battle with 300 people when God finishes whittling down his army. Does that make sense from a human standpoint? Not even close. Um, <laughs> and it took faith. In fact, that whole story is often preached as a, a, a theme of faith. Um, so yeah, there are some things that I would say don't make sense. Right. Just because we use don't- the term loosely. Just because we don't see the whole picture. Um, right. And that's the thing is that uh, yeah, so it's not that it's literally absurd. Like he's asking, he's he's saying, um, you know, the whole can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? Oh, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, I mean, so it that kind of thing where you're like, oh, God asked you to do something that's impossible to do because it's an irrational request. It's you know, so I, yes, I'm coming at it from an apologetic standpoint. I'm just, yeah. I do, I do, uh, I guess, I'm alert to some degree to what the perception that we're giving, you know, of, of the maybe accusations that are thrown at Christianity and how we might be feeding though that perception by the things that we say or the way that we word things. Right. And so to say, you know, God may ask you to do something that doesn't make sense. Well, as long as we couch that by saying simply because it doesn't make sense because we're finite, we don't see the whole picture. And so many times yeah. we eliminate God from the picture. Once we bring him to the picture, it all makes sense. Yeah. Um, so anyway, because so so to 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 describe these things to an unbeliever, oh, you think a whale could you know you think a whale could actually swallow a man? You think that people could be thrown into a fiery furnace and not get burnt? Well, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't I believe that? You know, what I mean, to me, it it's not irrational. It's just we're not right. we're not bringing all the components into discussion, and because just simply because they they want to dismiss a huge segment of the proof. Then, then claim that it's absurd. Well, they can't do that. And um, anyway, but we have yeah. to be careful how we feed that whole perception. Um, right, right, sure. And yeah, and, and yeah, so yeah, I think we were coming at it from two different standpoints. Yeah, yeah. And I would say, again, from the Christian standpoint here, just the basic fact that the scriptures teach that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Yeah, right. 
by that premise alone, you are guaranteed at some point to not understand something that the Lord expects of you or wants you to do. Um, and, and there will be things that don't make sense because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So yeah, yeah you're almost guaranteed to come across that. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So I've got a question now that we've got about 10 minutes left and I know it'll take every bit of that and it's going to lead into a question that I have for the after show. Um, okay. And again, it's, uh, it's our perception of things and the way that we've pictured uh, and we've kind of uh, created this thought in our minds that has a certain answer. And I think, uh, I think we've left out a component, but um, is God's grace always sufficient? Hmm. Is God's grace always sufficient? I feel like there's going to be a gotcha moment here. <laughs> yeah, well, not <laughs> sufficient for what? And, and what do you mean by grace? <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, good. Turning the question on me. Okay, so grace yeah. being, you know, basically that loving interaction of God that always is trying to, um, is always trying to move us toward the best, if you will, is always trying to provide for us what we need. I would call that's what I would call grace. Um, and it being sufficient, the there's, I think a couple, um, there's a couple Greek words for sufficient, but one of them, the idea of it's enough when Paul, when, when Jesus, or yeah, when Jesus said to Paul, you know, God, Paul said, oh, you know, remove this thorn from me. It's too much. And God responded, my grace is sufficient. Uh, it's literally, it, it's enough and it's always mm -hmm. enough. Uh, you don't, in other words, I guess we might say it, you don't, you don't need, I almost want to say this, but you don't need anything other than my grace. It will always mm -hmm. be enough to, um, what to do what? to say, support, That's... enable you. I think, I think Paul okay. literally thought I can't do my ministry the way I'm supposed to with this thorn in my flesh. I can't serve mm -hmm. the way I'm supposed to. Um, I, I don't think it was necessary, even necessarily for a selfish reason, but that God, mm -hmm. this is getting in my way. It's slowing me down. And God's saying, my grace is enough. Well, I guess that yeah. means enough to be able to serve. You know, you think that with the thorn, uh, you're going not going to be able to do enough. And he's saying, my grace is enough to, uh, to help you and enable you to do what I want you to do. Uh, is, yeah. is that always true? That So, well, I mean... So, Some would just simply take that verse as to be normative for every Christian. Yeah. That God's grace is sufficient. Um, so, I mean, what, so, I guess, is there some nuance yeah, here that well, I'm missing? I guess the, the context in which the question came up for me was uh, in terms of, say, a health crisis. Um, mm. You know, and, uh, and so I'm, you know, say I'm, uh, for sake of illustration, you know, I'm really struggling, I, like, like, Paul was in some way, I'm struggling with this health crisis and, um, and I just, I just keep on living and I just say, well, um, I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing because God's grace is sufficient. And, but then, I mean, and it's like your body's literally just crashing, right. And it, it's falling <laughs> apart and you're like, oh, I don't, I, I'm sure that the Christian mind tends to go, I don't think his grace is exactly sufficient here because I'm like going through purgatory, you know, or worse, I, <laughs> it, I, it, it, nothing's changing. In fact, it's all getting worse. How, how can I, going back to the rational question, 
this doesn't make sense. How could God say, yeah. my grace is sufficient, my grace is enough, and I just keep spiraling downward? What, what is that? How do I reconcile well, those two things? I mean, my, my answer would be that God's grace is sufficient for you to continue to do what he wants you to do, not what you think he wants you to continue doing. Right. Okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. sometimes God might want you to stop. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, by by me continuing to move forward, thinking God wants me to move forward with this, whatever it might be. And yet my body is telling me, no, my body is shutting down and it's not getting better. Well, perhaps the Lord is saying my grace would be for, sufficient for you to keep going if that's what I wanted you to do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're saying that uh, that we might misinterpret that by saying, so in other words, okay, good. You're, a misalignment of goals, I might say. Yeah, you're saying. My goal not being what God's goal his is. His grace is not sufficient outside of his design. Another, outside of his his will, right, his design. Right, his will. will. So in other words, if I'm just living my life and doing whatever I want, and then every time I run into a problem, like, ah, oh, but you know, God's grace is sufficient. What, what does that mean? You know, God's, I guess you asked a good question up front, sufficient to what? You know, uh, God's mm -hmm. grace is sufficient to carry me through and give me comfort and give me the victory. Yeah. Well, not if you're living outside of his will. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, tr tradition holds that Paul was beheaded, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, was God's grace not sufficient right. to keep Paul going after he was beheaded? I know that's kind of an absurd question, but uh, the truth is, you know, no. God wanted him that's, done. That was it. That was the end. That right. was it. Right. Um, uh, so I think... Um, I, I think that the way your take that your take on it there is good. My other thought on it though is I think God's grace comes in uh, forms that we don't acknowledge. Um, we sort of view this ne okay. this nebulous idea of grace as uh, you know. <laughs> I don't think I don't think we can even put our hands on it. We're just like oh, but God's grace will be sufficient. Meaning somehow, some way, I will. I will get through and feel victorious and I will make it. Okay. Well, how? I don't know, but God's grace will be sufficient. Well, okay. Part of me is saying, well, how does God give grace? And I think grace has to do with, um, if I could use the word, his interaction with us. Uh, maybe you might even use the word revelation to us. So mm. uh, one of the means of God's grace is his word. And, sure. and, and his word gives instructions for how he wants us to live. And this goes back to your question a minute ago, but got kind of the flip side of the coin, not just you not doing what God doesn't want you to do, but doing what you want God to do. In other words, if God says, hey, look, steward your money, hey, don't, don't go into foolish debt, um, look, eat Eat, uh, eat sufficient for you, um, right. you know, um, steward your, steward your health and your time, take some time to rest, you know, do these things. Um, and we don't do those. We're just like, oh, we're plowing ahead for Jesus and, uh, his grace will be sufficient. Well, uh, but he's, but he's already given you grace and his grace is sufficient. It's always sufficient. Um, and his grace includes that instruction that says, Hey, you need to, t you need to take some rest. You need to steward your health. You need to back mm -hmm. off a little bit, um, and, and do some things. So anyway, that's, 
I think if we just sort of see grace as this nebulous ooze out there, that it's this feeling that will get me through. Well, it's more than that. It's his actual instructions that he's already given you that's been sitting there for hundreds of years, Mm -hmm. if not thousands, that says, um, this is how I'd like you to pattern your actual daily behavior. Oh, okay. And if I would, if I would obey that, I would see some significant relief from the things that I'm going through. Not to say uh-huh. that everybody's, you know, cancer is going to be cured if they just, uh, you know, start budgeting their, their money. But I'm just saying that a lot right. of times the problems we, we sometimes can, and, and it's going back to that idea that you mentioned is that we can be driving ourselves in a certain way um, and not realizing that actually we've, we've sort of discarded his grace. We've spurned his grace by, um, by setting aside the directions of scripture in, uh, in our practical living. And then, and then going on in what we feel like is a spiritual thing and a godly endeavor that may violate, you know, some directives of scripture and then saying, well, you know, God's grace will be sufficient. Um, and say, well, yeah, absolutely. It always will be, but that's mm-hmm. assuming that we're patterning our lives and our behavior and our choices and our priorities after the things that he's already laid out for us, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. that's my thought on that. Okay, any, good. Any clarification there you want to? No, I think that makes sense. You know, the example you gave is a good one of uh, managing one's money. You know, a lot of times people conclude, I can't manage my money wisely. I can't do that. That requires money I don't have. It requires this or requires that. Um, well, I, I think it comes down to decision making, right? And mm-hmm. can God give grace to make a wise decision to either spend or not spend on a thing? Yes. And it's always sufficient because he wants us to make wise decisions mm-hmm. and he wants us to be wise with how we spend. So why would he not then provide us with the grace or the ability, the enabling to make a wise decision? Does that make sense? I think so. You're Is saying that, that a, he wants us to make a wise decision. Therefore, if we want to, his grace will enable us to do so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is that is that kind of a summation of what you're getting at? He gives an instruction. He has an expectation. Why would he not then provide us with the grace to do his expectation? Well, and that's kind of, and that's not exactly what I was saying, because what I was saying was partly that that instruction is his grace. It's not that he gives me the grace to perform his instruction. The instruction is his grace. He's saying, uh, I'm telling you how to pattern your life to, yeah. to have a blessed existence. And and that was a grace in and of itself. That was my sure. rev- revealing myself to help you towards a good end, you know? Um, and so, yeah. So if I say, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get into some foolish debt and I'm going to buy a car that I never would need that costs four times what I can actually pay. And then I turn around and go, man, I can't, I can't pay a tithe. Are you kidding? That's crazy. I, I could never right. afford a tithe. Well, but, but, you know, God's grace is sufficient. So I guess I'll just you know, I'll obey the preacher and give my tithe. And, you know, when, when I get thrown in jail, you know, or whatever, whatever, I'm just saying that you, we can, we can dismiss his grace, meaning his instruction on one hand, and then want to claim his grace as this somehow a supernatural enabling to do something that I feel like I ought to do when I've already dismissed his his instructions right. on how to do it. So are you, are you saying these things are mutually exclusive um, or, or is this both? What? Like, is there, you're, what you're talking about, I would describe as like an informing grace. And what you just mentioned a moment ago was like an enabling grace, right? Yeah. No, I wouldn't um, say they're mutually exclusive. I would just say that grace okay. includes his instruction. 
And we sometimes overlook that. And we just are sort of looking for this spiritual strength. Well, yeah, but what about his spiritual instruction? You know, that we've we've bypassed. Right. Yeah, good. Good. Well, we need to head into the after show. If you want to wrap us up here, then I've got a question that kind of is related to that. And we'll carry that in. Okay. Yeah, that'll be good. All right. Well, thank you folks for joining us on this episode. We certainly appreciate you. And we thank once again, our patrons over at patreon.com slash reason together for supporting the show. If you have a question or comment or suggestion that you'd like to send us, you can send that to reason together podcast at gmail.com. We would certainly appreciate your feedback. Uh, anyway, thank you again for listening. Uh, we are, um, boy, been so long since we've done this oh man what are we doing okay we're uh we are encouraging balance developing developing perspective and and connecting faith to practice this is reason together